0: And one way to do that is to keep the Sabbath going, is to talk about the Lord's Prayer. It is a pattern of prayer. There's no power in the words, there's no magic formula, but that is the pattern of prayer that we're to pray. And that's a great thing to discuss with your kids just on the way home from worship. There's your tip for the week. Open your scripture to John chapter 14, working our way through the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at the second half of that chapter. We covered the first half last week, which I'll remind us of in a minute, but I want to remind you, or I want to tell you last, of, uh, last week, um, our family went after, uh, in the afternoon down to Bucksport and we saw the Wizard of Oz on the big screen. You know, some of us grew up with The Wizard of Oz on the small screen every April. They, they did it every year. But this was on the big screen, so we took our kids down there, and there's a wonderful guy there that knew about it and talked about it and, uh, uh, and and talked about why it is so enduring. Why has it touched and been a part of so many generations since its release in 1939? And, and the, the big answer is it, the theme of home. There's no place like home. We all know that. That's what it comes from the Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. That is a deep, abiding, hardwired, by God, desire in us home. And as we saw last week, the disciples were trou- troubled because home was being ripped away from them. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm leaving you. Their home with them for the last three, three plus years was being taken away. And this troubled the disciples. They feared they were going to be orphaned. They feared they were going to be left alone. And Jesus, sensing this in chapter 14, he opens with, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he begins in this chapter to give them comfort. To comfort that feeling, that orphan mentality. And he first tells us, just by way of review, he tells them that, don't be troubled, I'm, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to heaven, I'm going home, and I'm gonna prepare home for you. If you were here last week, you know, the, the idea of putting a hot pot of soup on the stove ready for your arrival. He's preparing. He wants us to be anticipating home. Secondly, he says, I'm not only preparing a place, I'm preparing a way for you. In other words, Jesus says, he's not just giving them the map and saying, here's how you get there. He's saying, listen, I am the map. Follow me. I am the way, the truth, the life. I'm the way home. He just doesn't leave it there. He encourages them. He says, in the meantime... Between now and home, I'm preparing a work for you. In fact, he says, you're going to do greater things than I, even. Isn't that amazing? And we explored that a little last week. He concluded with a ministry in a small corner of the world with about 500 disciples. And we've been handed the ministry and have taken it by God's grace and by God's power to the ends of the earth. And finally, we ended last week by looking at Jesus' fourth encouragement, which he says, listen, I'm not just going to leave you here. I'm not just going to leave you with the work. I'm not just preparing a place. I'm coming back to take you where I am. I'm returning. And what a great comfort that is for our hearts and our minds and our souls. The great preacher Alexander McLaren noted the apostolic church was more thought, more about the second coming of Jesus than about death in heaven. The early church Christians were looking not for a cleft in the ground called the grave, but a cleavage in the sky called glory. Isn't that wonderful? That's a great encouragement for us, fellow believers. He's coming back. All of these are great encouragements and comforts for a small group of men who are about to be orphaned. Jesus was leaving. But Jesus saves the best for last. He continues and says, I'm not leaving you alone, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I commanded. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives in with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live on that day. You will realize that I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them. He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show us yourself and not show yourself to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me Will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens. So that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer. For the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So here these 11 men were in the upper room, a dark upper room, feeling pretty abandoned, alone, orphaned. And Jesus says in verse 16, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The word there is parakletos. That's the Greek word that is translated in a variety of different ways. And, but he's saying, listen, guys, I'm not leaving you alone. You're not going to be alone. You're not going to be orphaned. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to comfort you. That's one of the main focuses of the Holy Spirit's work as we see it here in this, these, this passage right here. That's the Greek word that is being translated there. And it's been, been translated... a." bunch of different ways throughout the centuries, but today, for our purposes, I want to look at three ways that that Greek word, parakletos, has been translated in some of the translations that you're holding in your hands right now. The King James Version, that, those translators chose the word comforter. I am sending you a comforter. Because at this moment, the disciples were feeling abandoned. In verse 18, Jesus senses that and he says, listen, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you orphaned. Now think about that word for a moment. Orphan. What does that bring to mind? What kind of feelings does an orphan feel? Lonely. Abandoned, afraid. unwanted, afraid, unloved, cast away, isolated, helpless, on their own in life. Steve Jobs, who created Apple and the empire that is, is Apple, I watched a a um, pretty much a two and a half hour documentary on him lately. And it's very interesting. He was he was an orphan. He was he was put up for adoption. And one of the themes that runs throughout his life with the Apple Corporation is he thought of Apple as home. He thought of Apple as family. And he guarded his family. Sometimes in in very brutal and cutthroat ways. That orphan mentality came out in his business. And Jesus says to these men, don't be troubled. I'm sending someone to deal with those feelings, the feelings that you are having. The uh, car language in Africa proved to be especially difficult for Bible translators when they went in to give them the New Testament. And especially when it came to the word that we're looking at today, parakletos. They didn't know how to translate it. There wasn't a direct translation for that word into their language. And they struggled with that. One day the translators saw a group of men going into the bush, a line of men with holding bundles on their heads just heading into the bush. And there was one man at the back who wasn't carrying anything, who was just walking behind them. And the translators thought that that was the boss. That was the guy who was going to tell them what to do. What they found out was that that guy wasn't the boss. That 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 man was there in case someone's burden became so heavy and the heat became so much that they fell to the ground. And the word for that man in the car language was the one who falls down beside me. And they chose that word to translate the comforter, parakletos. Jesus is telling them that he's sending them one who will do just that. He's, he's going to send them someone who will fall down next to us, who will see us, see our burdens, and when we fall will be right there with us to help us up, to understand our burdens, and even carry that burden if we will allow him <laughs> That's something that, with our flesh, we struggle with, don't we? That's my burden. Have you been comforted by the Holy Spirit that way? Is that your experience? Have you experienced the one who falls down beside you? If you answer, no, not really, that's not unusual. Maybe you did not know that you had someone like that. Maybe you didn't know that you had this parakletos, this comforter that was willing to do that for you. If that is you today, understand what God's word is telling you. You have that person. He's ready and willing and waiting to help you. But maybe your problem isn't a head problem. Maybe it isn't knowledge Maybe it's more of a heart problem. That's where a lot of us struggle, isn't it? Because we, in our flesh, naturally don't cry out for help a whole lot, do we? We don't like to be seen as weak and not being able to handle it. We don't like that. We're naturally get-through-it type of people. An independent Type of people, aren't we? So, in God's wisdom, He teaches us to depend on Him. Did you know that? If you're that type of person, God is going to teach you to depend on Him. Some people are surprised to find out that in the movie Casablanca, the line was never said, played against Sam. Some people, some Trekkies, are surprised to find out that Captain Kirk never said, beam me up, Scotty. I'm a Trekkie. (laughs) Equally, there are surprises for many people, many Christians, on what the Bible does not say. Some 80% of Christians believe the Bible explicitly says the Lord helps those who... doesn't say it. Doesn't say it. Here's another one for you. Maybe this one you've heard. Maybe this one has been said to you. The Bible doesn't say, God never gives you more than you can bear. you realize that? The Bible never says that. It's a misquote from 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, you'll never be tempted beyond that which you are capable of actually standing up underneath. The truth is that God will allow and God does ordain things that you can't handle to teach us to depend on the comforter, to teach us dependence. I tell this to people more and more these days. I tell people, you know what Christian maturity really looks like? Christian, a mature Christian is desperate for Christ and dependent on Christ for everything. That's not our picture, is it? Of maturity. But God wants to teach you to be a mature Christian by being desperately dependent on Him. He wants us to realize that we have a person that he has sent that is willing to come down to our level, care for us, comfort us, help us up, and carry your burdens. We don't worship a suck-it-up type of God. We just don't. He wants us to learn to cry out to the Comforter, who, by the way, is always with us. Did you did you see that in our text? He's always with us. Look at verse 17. It says, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Look also at verse 24. It echoes the same thing. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. You want to crush that orphan feeling, that orphan mentality, the feelings of isolation or abandonment, of loneliness, of being cast away. Realize that the comforter is always with you. Always with you. Because he's in you. You're never left alone by God. That's something that the, Paul was trying to relate to the Corinthian church in the sixth chapter. He's saying, and you know this verse, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. You're never alone. But I want to let you know something even more amazing. I thought, I actually went back and forth on whether to share this today. But I I think it's too amazing to, to leave out. Look again at verse 17 and 18. But you know him, the Comforter, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's comforting enough. But then look at 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. (laughs) Do you realize what this is saying? You know why we're so comforted? Because the Holy Spirit isn't a stranger. The Holy Spirit is Christ himself coming back. Does that in any way make you blow your mind. I mean, here we're getting into the deep water of the pool, guys, and none of us can swim. I want to tell you that ahead of time. You can't swim these waters, you can't understand this. The comforter is no stranger. What he, what Christ is saying is he is me. How comforting would it be if if you were going through something and you've been here a while, and you've come to trust me and love me, and you call me, and and you say, "Listen, I'm going through this really tough thing," and you describe it to me, and I, I'm very empathetic. You know, I'm, I my heart goes out to you, and and at the end of the conversation, I say, "You know, Tim, I'm I'm just crushed by this," and I'm going to send Pastor Dan Venable over to you, from Cornerstone Baptist Church to minister to you. What? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know who I am. You he hasn't lived life with me. No, you want somebody who knows you, who cares for you, who loves you. And, and in, in, in essence, that's what Jesus is saying here. The mystery of the Trinity is that the Father is different from the Son, is different from the Spirit, is different from the Father, yet... They're the same. So we don't have a stranger ministering to us. We have Jesus Christ Himself. And the comfort we can draw from this is that Jesus really isn't leaving. Christ in you. That's why He can say, I'm not leaving you as orphans, guys, because He never really leaves. A second way the Greek word parakletos is translated is counselor. And this is really what we see in the NIV and other translations like it. Verse 16, verse 26. Look, at, look with me at verse 26. It says, but the counselor, this is Jesus saying, the counselor of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is going to be their counselor. Now, in one sense, this is words for the apostles. In a true sense of the word, in a literal way. Because these are the men that wrote the New Testament. And this is a promise to those men saying, Listen, you're not going to forget the life and times and ministry of what I did, my teachings. I'm going to send you somebody who's going to bring that to mind. And you're going to write those down. You know, in in one sense, there's only so far we can go, people, with manuscript evidence for, for the Bible, for trusting the Bible. There's only so far we can go with textual criticism. There's only so much that internal and external evidence will ever do for you what it eventually comes down to is this. Do you believe that those men who wrote these words were supernaturally guided and reminded of what Jesus taught, his parables, his teachings on on the hillside and on the flats, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, the words that we're going through in the upper room. Have you ever sat back in your pew and gone, how do they know that they said all these things? How do they know that Jesus said all these things? The Holy Spirit supernaturally reminded them. And let me tell you guys, if, if you can't go there, your faith will eventually get to a point where it, it doesn't sustain this book as God's word. It's a supernatural book created supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. That's where you have to end up in order to understand that. But it has an application for us as well. It's not just for the apostles. It also has an application for us. As we go through life, we need someone trusted who will be there for us, don't we? And we all have those people. Some of them are mothers and fathers. Some of them are dear, dear, dear friends you've known forever that you go to for counsel and advice. Some people are maybe in this body you run to when you need counsel. We all need counsel. That's evidenced by the amount of counselors we have in the United States. In 2012, in the book Bad Religion, Ross Duthat proved this point. He said the United States has witnessed a hundredfold increase in the number of professional caregivers since 1950. Our society boasts 77,000 clinical psychologists, 192,000 clinical social workers, 105 mental health counselors, 50,000 family and marriage counselors, 17,000 nurses, psychotherapists, 30,000 life coaches, and hundreds of thousands of non-clinical social workers and substance abuse counselors. People we love counsel. We need guidance, and we look everywhere for guidance, don't we? People are desperate for it. And it's not wrong to go to these people. It's not unchristian. But what I want to relay to you tonight, today is you have another resource. You have a counselor that promises to, to be with you wherever you are. You don't have to make an appointment some of you out there are going, yeah, I mean, it's like three weeks out. I can't get into my counselor. You don't need to wait. You have a counselor with you in every situation of your life. If you're worried, this counselor is going to remind you that the birds of the air don't worry and the Father takes care of them. Matthew 6. He'll counsel you when you're angry. You know what the Holy Spirit will say? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. James 1. Your counselor will counsel you when you're tempted. You have the power to resist that. That's First 1 Corinthians 10.13. He'll counsel you as you age and get older. That the outside might be falling apart, but the inside is being renewed. Isn't that a Wonderful. He'll counsel you when you doubt the word of God that it is the very breath of God you're reading. 1 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3. He'll counsel you when you feel all alone that God is always with you, Psalm 23. He'll counsel you as you watch the presidential election this year that your citizenship is not here. (laughs) Philippians 3. He'll counsel you when you doubt your salvation that whom he has in his hand, no man can pluck out, John 10. He'll counsel you when you feel like you have no future, teens, when you feel like the future is bleak and dim and there is no future, that he has a wonderful plan and hope for you, Jeremiah 29:11. He'll counsel you when you feel, when you look around at this crazy world that godliness actually wins in the end. The book of Revelation. He'll counsel you when you feel unloved and ignored by God. Anybody ever feel that way? David did over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit will come alongside and he'll counsel you and he will say, how can you say that? My dear, dear one, when I left heaven to come get you, I died for you. And I love you. And I'm always with you. Always. Even to the end of the age, he says. That's what the counselor will remind you of. And that is what he does. Isn't that wonderful? Lastly, the Holy Spirit is not just our comforter and counselor. He's also our helper. That's the translation that the NAS has, if you have it in your hands, or the ESV. He is our helper, the Holy Spirit. I hope you noticed as we read through this, a theme that that developed. The theme of love and obedience. Did you notice that? I hope you're engaging your minds as we read scripture because it says it four times. And that's a very kind of an odd thing for, for the scriptures to bring up at this time. Okay, I'm trying to comfort you, but listen, if you love me, you show that by obedience. Oh my goodness. It says it in verse 15, in verse 21, in verse 23, in verse 24. I mean, it's clear that Jesus is saying here, listen, Followers of, of me, if you love me, you, you'll obey my commands. It's a basic way anybody shows love, isn't it? I find that there's a lot of discouragement in this area. A lot of discouragement in the family of God in this area. You know, I, I hear quite often about the struggle with obeying God. The struggle with sin. All the time. Believers feel that they cannot live up to the standard of God. And I want to tell you two things quickly. One, that's true. That's what propels you into Christ's arms, first of all, doesn't it? That's true. You cannot obey God's commands. That's really the the starting point if you want to grow as a Christian. That's really the starting point if you want to become a Christian, isn't it? You have to get to a point where you go, "I, I, I can't do this. I was fooling myself into thinking I could do this. I was minimizing sin enough so that I could do it. Or I was bringing God's commands down low enough so that I can hop over it. But when you see the holiness of God and your depravity clearly, you realize you can't do it. That's where the gospel comes in. That's a good, healthy understanding that you can't do it. Propels you into the arms of Christ. But secondly, as we have given our lives to Christ, and we're, we're on the journey to the celestial city, so to speak, as Bunyan put it, don't we still struggle with that? And isn't there some discouragement? I know I get discouraged when I read Scripture and I realize how far short I continually fall to God's commands. We struggle with it. And that's, that's what Paul is saying in Romans 7. He's saying, listen, I, I want to do, I want to follow God. And he writes, I don't understand what I do, for I want to do. What I want to do, I don't do. And that which I hate, I do. There's a real struggle in each person's life between the desire for sinning and the desire to be obedient. And if you've never read C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, I want to encourage you to do that. Because he deals with this subject. And in one of his famous allegories there, he tells of a discussion between an angel and a man who's struggling this way. And, and sin and the power of sin and his struggle is, is shown by this red lizard on his shoulder that is continually talking into his ear. And the mighty angel approaches the man... And asks him, would you like me to make this lizard quiet? Of course I would, the man said. The angel says, then I will kill it. And he takes a step forward and he begins burning the lizard, which in turn starts burning the man. The man says, Al, you're burning me. Keep away. And retreats. Don't you want it killed? Says the angel. He didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, the angel said. Shall I kill it? Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much for your help. The angel looks at the man and says, shall I kill it? Honestly, I don't think that's necessary. I'm sure I'll be able to keep it in order now. Some other day, perhaps. There's no other day. Get back, the man says. You're burning me. And the conversation goes on. We struggle like this with sin, don't we? That's the beauty of, of, of C.S. Lewis's mind is he's able to capture these, these total human foibles like this. We want the red lizard of sin and disobedience dead, don't we? We can all sit here and shake our head. We all do, right? Shake your head, please, just to give me some comfort up here that you actually want sin dead in your life. And yet we shrink back, don't we? We shrink back in a bunch of ways. Because mortifying sin in your life is painful. That's exactly what C.S. Lewis is putting his finger on. It's not like falling off a log. It's hard. But God does not want us to live like that. Much like Lewis's allegory, Jesus sends us a helper. Titus 2 says, he teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's the work of the helper in your life. You have a helper here. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. But then he says, If the Spirit indeed lives in you. Do you want sin dead? Do you want to really obey? That's the heart question. See, you're no longer, if you're regenerate, you're no longer controlled by your flesh. God has sent you a helper. Mark Johnson in his commentary says, The obligation to the law is not diminished, but the power to fulfill the obligation is provided. You have a helper who reverses the flow of your heart. And he's real. And he's in you. The Holy Spirit begins to enable us to want to please God. Instead of desiring the sinful things, he gives us a new desire, a desire to obey God's commands, not in dry duty as we talked about in Sunday school, but really want to show our love for God by obeying his commands. Please pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will apply this word to our hearts and our minds and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.